Hey, welcome back. It's uh, episode 13 of the Tom and Joe show. Oh, we can't leave it on that number. What? 13, that's just unlucky. Oh, yeah. That's not going to happen. But we have to have an episode 13. Do we? Yeah, because otherwise it won't go in order. And anyway, this is the most obvious topic to do with 13, surely. Is if it? If it's not like bad luck, worse bad luck things or... I think it's slightly more more serious than bad luck, don't you? Or horror films. Bloody hell. Yeah. Right, okay. I think there's no better topic for the 13th show than serial killers. Okay. And the most notorious, and maybe a couple that, you know, people might not have heard of. Who knows? You've been doing a lot of watching of serial killer shows lately, which is not at all scary. Well, no, because they've all been caught. That's why. (laughs) Well, it started at uni, actually. Mm. Uh, My dad bought me uh, a a magazine called True True Life Crimes and how they were solved. And um, this first one featured... Oh, his first name escapes me suddenly, but his surname was Duffy, and he was known as the Railway Killer. Right. And uh, and from that point forward, I was fascinated. Not because I wanted to become one. Sure. But I was fascinated in what uh, what drove them to do something that is, as far as I'm concerned, completely and utterly uh, alien to mm. my way of thinking. Uh, and as as time has progressed, uh, we we know that um, certainly with. I, th- th- these people's names will crop up I'm sure within within the next few minutes or whatever but um, it's it's been determined that uh, there's a part of their brain that actually is malformed uh, and therefore all serial killers have the same malformation mm. of their brain which makes them do what they do I see. so it's actually it's actually some sort of biological imbalance right how does that manifest itself what is it a specific area of the brain in each person yeah like the same area all mm. oh, right it is so you it can is. actually check for serial killer tendencies just by doing an mri scan basically you can mm. so and they've all got this particular uh, lack of development right in their brain the, the way it's sort of com- the composition of the brain mm. and is that like because uh, I haven't really watched any of these. This, this is your thing. <laughs> this is my thing. So is it like the area of the brain that tell, can tell the difference between right and wrong? Or is it no, a, you know, it's not. It's to do with it's to, it's to do with compulsion and uh, remorse mm. or lack of remorse. It's the drivability. Right. As I say, compulsion. Mm. That's as that's as simple as I want to. Go at the yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly. I'm not expecting you to give me the whole neurological breakdown. No, very, very boring. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So, what are the standout ones for you? Like, what are the ones that you not are more drawn to, but are more mm. fascinated with? I guess. Um, well, to put it into context, uh, my A level group um, is currently moving towards their second year of their study and they have to study uh, 
the elements of crime in literature. Mm. And uh, typically their crime literature, uh, one of the texts is Agatha Christie, and I think um, by far one of the greatest crime writers of all time. Mm. How she can come up with so many books, with so many conclusions, yet always being that there is one person who who done it yeah even though everyone in those stories seems to have yeah, some everybody level of motivation everybody becomes implicated everyone becomes a suspect uh fascinating fascinating writing so anyway um to, to introduce crime mm. i give them uh an, an expose on serial killers who fit into certain social groups mm. Uh, I always start off with an interview with Arthur Shawcross. Right. Arthur Shawcross yeah. uh, was an ex-military man. Uh, well, he claims he was an ex-military man. Claimed that he fought in the Vietnam War. And uh, and then somehow, after coming out of out of uh, Vietnam, and I'll come back to that, mm. he lived he he lived in uh, Rochester, New York. Right. And when the kids hear that he lived in Rochester, they don't wait for the they New York part. They'll go, <laughs> listen to his accent. Listen to his accent. He's, He's American. He's from Medway. <laughs> Idiots. And he was charged with the murder of a, a young boy. Mm-hmm. Was put into prison for 15 years. And then released. Uh, and then 18 months later, he... Uh, murdered 11 prostitutes right however in that time where the young boy was murdered there was also the murder of a young girl Hmm. which he refuses to talk about okay when when he's admitted to the boy admitted to the boy but he refuses to talk about that because that was where when he lived somewhere else before right it was like a so he moved away from there, therefore almost compartmentalised his life into these sections of, I don't talk about what happened after I moved to Rochester, right, New York. I talk about I don't I don't talk about that part of my life anymore. Mm. And when when I ask questions about these women that he he murdered, he tells them very matter of factly, yeah, S- split her open, I strangled her, yeah, I slit her neck. I was angry. Right. And that's how he tells. So that's how he tells <clears> the story. Why? Why prostitutes? Because it seems uh, to be a yes. kind of recurring thing, doesn't mm. it? Like from Jack the Ripper. Well, onwards. <laughs> this is this is when it becomes quite tiresome. Yeah. Uh, because and, and it's um. He he had a an appalling childhood. Mm-hmm. His mother, as far as he's concerned. Um, performed sexual acts on him right. when he was younger. Now, his mother denies that, mm. or she certainly denied any sort of involvement of that. Uh, when he was seen by the prison psych- uh, psychologist, she sort of hip- hypnotised him. Now, those things you can, if you're good at acting, you can pretend that you are being hypnotised. Yeah, And uh, he sort of whether you want to choose to believe what you see because there's a there, there was a very visual recording of him being hypnotized mm. 
uh, and then sort of going through this performance of where he's touching himself and the psychologist to say to him why 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 are you holding yourself what what's going in he's he's going mummy mummy right uh it hurts so take that as the evidence that you need that it happened yeah um but certainly that's that's why he then went out and did what he did however back to the vietnam story mm. uh he claims one night he was uh confronted by some viet cong woman uh who he then to get information out of her um her friend he executed in cold blood the woman she was with right cut her head off mm-hmm. and then claims that he was going to then draw this machete down her body to sort of split her in half so that he could cook her and eat her right and uh when he went back to camp and he told his commanding officer that this is what what he'd done um to then sort of recall him saying you're one sick son of a bitch but i admire you or something like that right yeah when this guy was spoken to he said that he never even went out into Vietnam. Right, this commanding this officer. This commanding officer yeah. said that he never went out into Vietnam. So this story is like massively fabricated. But he believes that he was a special a specialist weapons specialist. <laughs> this is great, whatever that is. A specialist weapons specialist. Yes. yes. So right. take of that what you will. So it's possible that he's a fantasist and massively so is making up the reason that he's doing what he did well possibly i mean it's one of these things where he was he was married he had a daughter and yet showed her lots of love and compassion and subsequently her children so his grandchildren yeah lots of love for them but complete and utter coldness detachment to anyone else outside of his family and it's this whole double life idea i guess Mm. that um you if you believe that you you're going to go out and you're going to go kill someone then you come home and you're this obliging husband Mm. then you can carry on doing what you're doing because it's not you yeah this is the life that you have so many of them are like that peter sutcliffe was like that. He he's I think our worst. Harold yeah. Shipman, Shipman. Harold Shipman. Um, he. Well, he thought he was doing a service. Didn't well, he? he abused his position of yeah. responsibility. Yeah. Peter Sutcliffe, like uh, you know, prostitutes thirteen of them. Mm. Uh, there was that Ipswich taxi guy as well. He five women. Yeah. Yes. His correct. name I can't remember. No. Unfortunately. No, he's not on my list of no of uh, because th- there have been others who have eclipsed. Yeah, well, it just seems the most prominent ones are American, aren't they? Like um, all the big. Well, I don't know. It's like we don't tend to make such a big deal about we it. Don't... If you look on to, if you look on YouTube, <clears throat> yeah. for example, we don't interview mm. our mm. serial killers. No, uh, we we certainly have documentaries on them. Yeah. But, but we, we don't, don't almost make celebrities of them. No. Which is kind of... What Richard Ramirez did. He was the night stalker, The, the, the night right? stalker, yes. 
Uh, we're we're looking at yeah you do we're looking at social (laughs) groups Uh, he has to come into the one who just he didn't target any social group he just murdered people because he liked the idea of blood yeah Uh, but um, died before he could be executed Mm. during an interview uh, again very calculating um, sort of went into this script where uh, he he refused to comment on certain things, whether he was guilty of these crimes, and he says, uh, I, "I'm I, I'm not obliged to answer your question," you know. And uh, when when asked if he was evil, he said, "We are all evil." Right. Uh, the government is evil. You know, and that that level of sort of intelligence where you look beyond. Yeah. The government allows us to go out and kill people why can't I then kill civilians there's you know, a twisted rationale to that isn't there you know mm. and mm. Then, then on the flip side you've got Charles Manson who got yeah. other people to kill for manipulated him manipulated people into doing mm. what he wanted them to mm. I mean he's probably the most famous serial killer right well he d- he's not a serial killer well, that's no, the he's point not. That's, that's the weird thing isn't it he was just like you say manipulated like a cult leader mm. who he's 83 or 86 he's dead oh yes he died didn't he he died at the end but of last year but he was 80 83 mm. or mm. something like that because when... there was a massive following of his really rather poor songs as well because he was a singer songwriter as well around about the time that all this stuff was going on he was a uh, he was convinced that Helter Skelter that's right was about him yeah because he didn't know that Helter Skelter was a fairground ride that's not the name of those in America he thought it had connotations of the devil Helter Skelter he thought it was some kind of a cult thing that the yes. Beatles were saying yes. about him Mm. Yeah, but he wrote music. I think a very early Marilyn Manson album mm. has got a couple of his songs redone by that band. But yeah, people collect his songs, which is a bit weird. Interesting. <clears throat> very interesting. Yeah. Because uh, probably the most famous British one that isn't Jack the Ripper, because no one knows who that was. It's still not 100% confirmed anyway, was it? Was uh, the Rillington Place guy... What was his name? Um, yep. Uh, Crippin. Cri- no, not Crippin. No. Um, Smith. Was it Smith? Haig. Smith. Smith. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, Rillington Place. It was played by Tim Roth recently, was, but yeah. uh, John Christie. Christie. Hmm. Smith was the acid bath murderer. Right. But yeah, played by Tim Roth recently in that dramatisation, but also by Richard Attenborough previously. In Ten Rillington yeah. Place. Yeah. Mm. A serial killer and necrophile. Mm. Yeah, murdered at least eight people, including his wife. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Um, I've got one for you. Okay. A guy called Louis Garavito. He was a Colombian. He's, in fact, still alive. He's 61. Mm. Now, bearing in mind uh, Colombian, yeah, he was convicted of the rape and murder of 138 children. Blimey. What do you suppose his 
um, sentence was. I have a horrible feeling it's going to be much less than he deserves. I don't know whether Colombia has the death penalty, but certainly that would be what I would put him down for. Colombia doesn't have the death penalty. Does it not? Uh, Now, if somebody in this country uh, had been found to have murdered 138 people, let alone children, Mm. uh, they would receive what we call a life term, Mm. which means they will never be released from prison. His sentence was 1,800 years. Wow. So that's consecutive life sentences. 1,800 years. Wow. Yeah, you're never getting out of that, are you? But the weird thing about that is that as much as you're going to die in prison, Mm. it's not quite enough, is it? You'd want him to be beaten every single day that he was in well, there. Well, we, we know that um, even murderers have a, a sort of like a, a scale of acceptability. Yeah. And child murder, all murderers will... any Anyone who comes into a prison mm. having been convicted of murdering a child will be public enemy number one within the yeah. walls of those prisons. Yeah. It doesn't matter how old the child how many Mm. one that's it yeah that is it uh we know that from um from uh uh trevor mcdonald's yeah life on death row um visits the indianapolis state prison yeah oh that's right he did high security as well didn't he um that that happens so it's uh fascinating that even they have a line yeah yeah there is this weird twisted kind of well not twisted because I suppose from their point of view it's justified if they're kind of victimising other adults those other adults have a reasonable chance of defending themselves or that they're already fully formed people whereas children are innocent and defenceless do you know what I mean yes but I disagree with that but I think that's where the logic comes in isn't it it's like the child is completely defenseless. I don't I don't I don't know what the logic is. I'm just trying to put myself in I I I don't I I wouldn't be able to say what mm. I th- felt was the rationale behind that thinking. I also introduce my students to the weird and wonderful world of Ed Gein. That's how I was just about to look up. <laughs> um yeah. well he's the one that's um spawned more horror films than anyone, isn't he, really? But he was just deeply troubled. Uh, I, I, th- I think that um, to single him out is slightly unfair, mm. I think. I think that there are people who have done... I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't <clears throat> necessarily say worse, but... The majority of his stuff was done to exhumed corpses, wasn't it? Rather than actual. Yes, he was. A, he was a body snatcher. He did kill two women, mind you. Yes, <clears throat> and turn their bodies into pieces of furniture. Yeah. Which. In in itself is pretty vile. Yeah. He was the prototype for. The Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for sure. Leatherface. Mm. He wasn't psycho. That was Bundy, right? Or was that Ed Gein? No, that was no, Ed Gein. No, it definitely it? wasn't 
Bundy because Bundy wasn't even doing his crimes when that film was made. No, that's true, yeah. Yeah, it was Psycho, wasn't it? Ed Gein's story was... Because uh, it, it happened in the 1950s and the book Psycho came out in 59 and the film was 60 and he'd kind of based the killer in Psycho. What's the guy's name? Norman Bates. Norman Bates on Ed Gein. I think mainly due to the kind of having the mother in the basement and all that kind of well, quite. You know, thing. Yeah. But also uh, you've got Deranged, a 1974 film, Light of the Moon, 2000, Ed Gein, The Butcher of Plainfield. I mean, that's fairly obvious. Uh, and then you've got uh, fictional serial killers, Norman Bates, Leatherface, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs as mm, well, because he mm. was skinning people mm. and making suits out of them and things, wasn't he? Uh, Back to Cruella Deville. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And also Dr. Oliver Threadson from American Horror Story, but we've not watched mm-hmm. that, so I don't know. Didn't he, like, he basically made lampshades out of people's skin as well, didn't he? Well, it, it, was, and, it was furniture, I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the creepiest thing. It's like arts and crafts mm. mixed with mute. It's just that, that's, I don't know. Mm. That disturbs me quite a lot. That someone takes apart a human being, alive or dead. There have been quite a few, though, who have done the whole sort of decapitation of uh, their, their victims. You know, yeah. Since then. And like keeping bits of them in the freezer and things it's, like it's that. It's not, I'm and it's an awful thing to say. It's not a new, it's not a new thing anymore. No. Because uh, so many of them feel that they've got to destroy the evidence as much as possible. And I think I I have learnt that uh, serial killers are so called if they return to the body. Okay. Otherwise, they're known as spree killers. I still very much disagree with that term. Yeah, that seems like a bit of a weird categorization. Mm. Spree killer doesn't quite sound no. so bad as serial killer for some reason. No. After after you look at these men, you have to then think about the fact that, that, that women have killed. Not quite so. But it then becomes very interesting on how they are viewed. Eileen Wernos, mm. if you haven't seen it, needs to see uh, what's-her-face's portrayal of... Monster. Yeah. Charlize Theron. Brilliant. Yeah. Because... Uh, she plays this very troubled woman who had a shit life from the age of, well, six, seven. Mm. And uh, she was sort of getting caught up in crimes and misdemeanours at the age of 13, you know. And, uh, and then ended up killing seven men. Her defence claims that she was doing it in self-defense because mm. she felt threatened by these these men because they'd all kind of taken her to quiet spots for her to solicit herself right but then that's what she was sort of selling yeah basically uh she was mm. executed and her final interview is quite disturbing because she goes from being this person who is totally accepting of what fate awaits her, saying that 
to, she's going to go and meet her maker and uh, Jesus is going to be there and there are going to be lots of flowers and everything else. You know, it's really kind of, you, you can see that she's had to tell herself this. Yeah. And then she switches. She switches and she says, I'm here and I'm I'm being made an example of because I was defending myself and I'm essentially standing up for women across the world, you know, that you can't allow men to treat you like this. Mm-hmm just this complete switch and then she's back again right uh but but i'm okay i'm fine with it yes okay i'm I'm, I'm gonna get i'm gonna get executed tomorrow but i'm fine with it and you think no you're actually not no at no point are you fine with that i don't think anyone can be can they really well it's quite possibly why cameras in the um execution chamber are banned yeah because you wouldn't want to see that no you wouldn't want to see a person because you know you you think about that whole idea of uh death should be unexpected mm. or you're not awake for it yeah. you're either in a some sort of induced coma or you're in your sleep yeah and you don't wake up and that's kind of that's fine that's fine but seeing someone knowing that the minute they put a needle into your arm mm and you are watching that happen you've got minutes that's it yeah that's it that must be ultimately terrifying yeah definitely and of course there's been that documentary series recently as well where mm. which state was it that was running out of arkansas. a drug arkansas yes began the midazolam yeah began putting people to death because they were running out of a drug that wasn't going to be replaced. Well, no, they weren't it, running no, out it of it. They 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 like, had a surplus uh, yeah. st- uh, stock of it, and uh, they needed, if they were going to get any more from the government, they had to sort of get rid of this. <clears throat> yeah. Surplus stock. They were saying that there were elements of that that weren't working correctly, and that some people suffered or mm. appeared to suffer. Yeah. While they were there, and mm. that one person took a long time. Yeah, two hours virtually. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I don't know. They say it's humane, but you have no idea because no one can tell you how whether it hurt or not. <laughs> they no. can't say, can they? No. And clearly if it's taking two hours or the best part of, mm. that's not, sl- that's not sl- fast, is it? It's very slow. No, I think it's a bit of a funny old situation, really, because mm. so many of these people commit a crime. I mean, with, with us over here they commit a crime they go to jail and they're there for the rest of their lives yeah in the united states they commit a crime they are either sentenced to death and then spend over 20 years on death row waiting for that to happen yeah which to me is a very strange concept and i don't know if any american would even be able to explain why and i know that there's a 15 stage appeal process and uh, that is why that is the case. But it just seems overly long, doesn't it? It just seems overly long. Uh, the victims are told, or the victims' families are told, you know, that this is going to be the end result, and then they spend years and years and years waiting for that to happen. Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily happen. And then when it does, then there's a stay of execution at the last minute, as we saw on that documentary. Yeah. And this is why I've left, well, sort of left Ted Bundy till last. Mm. 
because he was executed by electric chair. Yes. In 1989. Now that is awful. Well, I say it's awful. That to me isn't. There's, there's, you can't claim any sort of level of humanity of that one. And despite the fact that he murdered in excess of 30 women, yeah. um, some say it was nearer 60, all of them had long brown hair because he was jilted by a brunette. Uh, he had props. He played the vulnerable man. Mm. And then... When finally caught, he escaped once, was recaptured, and then decided in his infinite wisdom that he would defend himself in court because he had a law degree. And uh, obviously lost. Because he thought he was cleverer than he was? That he could find loopholes in the legal system. Right. Was he a particularly educated person? He said he had a law degree. Oh, right, yeah. Hmm. And um, his last interview before execution is it's very insightful because this is how this is where I finish my background research, mm. my A level students watching this interview with, with Bondi. We kind of go about 15, 20 minutes in, and you, you see this man who's terrible at eye contact, looks down all the time, mm. uh, uses a string of well, it's very verbose, right? Uh, but also, he's searching for a word constantly searching for the right word Mm. it's very very articulate and he says that uh, um, before anyone judges him he had the perfect upbringing and uh, it was his exposure to pornography that he found in bins uh, you know, after a shock of sort of not being able to sell them, he found them in bins. Mm. That was the the reason, or the catalyst for his murder spree. Thirty plus women. Um, but other other interviews that he'd he'd done up to that point said that he was essentially obsessed with the idea of murder. Right. Having said all of that, he's also a compulsive liar. Because his background wasn't perfect at all, okay, um, and he, he was he, he again was abused by uh, by his mother as a child. But see, the thing is with him, he refused to be a statistic. He refused to conform hmm. to ah uh, well, he was a serial killer because he had a shit childhood, you know, right? Sort of thing, uh, and because so many of them fall into that category. He wanted to sort of say, no, no, I... I'm different. I'm different. Yeah. uh, I'm educated, I'm this, that, the other, and what have you. And uh, his his appeals went through really rapidly. Mm. I think it only took three years. Right, which is quick. 20-odd. And then he was was executed. Mm. He he actually um, also considered suicide because he didn't want the state to have the satisfaction right of killing him and watching him die he seems like he was out for himself like to make a name for himself and kind of go down in history almost really well it's like you said earlier uh, Richard Ramirez became a celebrity because of his sort of awful long hair <laughs> and the way that he 
kept hurling abuse at the trial judge saying that this trial was a joke. Right. And he had women writing to him. This is the other thing that I just do not understand. Are these Because uh, predominantly these serial killers are men. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times they get married while they're in prison. Mm-hmm. And they have these these kind of these women that want to i don't know they they idolize them if that's the right word i'm not quite sure it is i don't know what the word is it's a morbid fascination yeah i don't have a morbid fascination with these people no i think any, any of them are particularly hot <laughs> uh, i i just find the whole action of that just completely and utterly unthinkable. Yeah. How there's me at this end of the scale, mm. and then at the total opposite end, and how people who are sort of externally built the same, yeah, and physically built the same, how internally they are so completely and utterly differently wired mm. to have these desires to do that sort of thing. It's just I can't, I can't get my head around that. It's like being born a tiger. All tigers are wired the same way. Yeah. You you have to hunt to survive. Imagine mm. being that tiger who's like, oh no, I'd rather not eat anything, thank you, because you don't want to hurt that, that <laughs> deer over there. Vegan tiger. He's like, what? <laughs> yes, I'm going to bury on the tree. <laughs> you don't get that. No. In, in animals. No, but it's something about free will isn't it i suppose or no it's the brain yeah it's the human brain that is the most damaging powerful powerful it's it's what i keep saying to to um i say to my students actually a gun isn't powerful at all it's a word a word is more powerful than a gun Mm -hmm. because it's someone saying something that entices that person to pick up the gun and use it for destruction it's the same thing here Mm. A word is far more powerful than anything else. And it's neither an internal word. Someone tells themselves that they're going to go out and do this thing. And they do. And they do it 30 times. Or 138 times. Mm. Bloody awful. Yeah. It's just the, the... I think the most difficult thing to get your head around as a sane person... Or someone who is, you know, uh, doesn't have these deformities of the brain or whatever, mm. is the repeated action. There's a thing to say that you learn from your mistakes, basically, you know, in regular life, you make a mistake and you learn from it. Whereas these people just continue to go against everything that makes you an upstanding human being. Mm. And they never learn from it. But it, it's, it seems to be like an addictive thing with some people. And whether that's blood, you know, the sight of blood or the, the, the motion of blood coming out of a wound or whatever, mm. or whether it's the feeling, the physical power over someone else. Mm. It's just some people are wired mm. incorrectly, I suppose. So what I find fascinating, I suppose... Mm trying to understand I don't think or not even understand but I don't think in 20 years worth of being totally interested in this thing I don't think I'll ever really understand it 
No. Because it's so far away from so the way... From me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even remotely inspired to go out and try it myself. That, no. That's the point. Which is probably a good thing, because you've watched a lot of these things and you've probably worked out the best way to do it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, it's, it's not even that. No, I know. No, I know. I don't have, I don't have criminal intention mm. at all. No. And most people don't, I guess. Australian story, that woman that you told me about. Uh, uh, the woman who said that she had to, she had a bucket list and on her bucket list was that she had to kill someone by the age of 28 or something. And then uh, she emigrated to Australia, hooked up with this woman. Oh, yes. Yeah, that happened recently. This, this woman and her son and this English woman who was originally from Lincoln or Lincoln, Somewhere like that. Lured this kid who this woman's son knew from school. They were in the same class. They lured him into their house. Yeah. Um, by by using this woman's son as bait. Um, and he went around thinking that he was going to uh, play a computer game or something. Yeah. And they, they killed him. That's right. And then she went into work the next day, or the same day. Basically bragged bragged about the fact that she'd done it. Yeah. Yeah, her name was Gemma Lilly. When she was 26, she moved to Perth in Australia from Lincolnshire in 2010. She was obsessed with serial killers and fantasised about a screaming, pleading victim. Which is why... That's not me. No. That second part is not me. No. (laughs) There's, There's being obsessed with trying to get your head around it. And there's being obsessed with being one. And I desperately hope you're the first one. Which I think you are. Um, no, she's been sentenced to life in prison, as well as her housemate, over the brutal thrill killing of an 18-year-old. So Gemma Lilly, she's 26, moved in with Trudy Lennon, a 44-year-old mother of three, and well-known submissive in the local bondage scene. Lovely stuff. They murdered a boy called Aaron Padgett, mm. uh, and I believe he had some sort of... Learning. Yeah, yeah. Um, he came round to fix a computer or upload some games onto Lennon's son's computer. Correct. Lily had been obsessed with murder for much of her life and once told a friend she wanted to kill someone before the age of 25. So she failed because she was 26, you know. Once she ticked off murder from her bucket list, she was so full of herself and euphoric that she couldn't help boasting to a work colleague after she'd done it, as we've said. These two women met on some bondage kind of stuff and uh, she referred to herself as SOS, or SOS, uh, a serial killer in a book called Play Zone, which she wrote as a teenager in Britain. Oh, so it's her own fan fiction that she's brought to life, you know. It's, um, yeah, it's all very, very strange. Admittedly, not a serial killer, but... uh, No, no, but the whole, again, the whole nature of what I'm sort of trying to wind this up to is just how people are wired, Mm. really. And it's just sad... She was going to garrote Padgett from behind, but the uh, whatever she was using to garrote him snapped. So she allegedly stabbed him in the neck and chest. So like life, life in prison over there. Mm. 
there is definitely something. I mean, the, you know, again, it, it it points to someone being wired a bit incorrectly, fantasizing and writing fiction about serial killers and killing people, and then actually going out to do it. It's not the workings of a kind of like I say, a sane person. No, because that's the other thing, isn't it? The whole um, diminished responsibility or mitigating well, uh, circumstance, yeah. which is why certainly over here they all undergo psychological testing yeah because and that that's determined by first of all uh the defense looks to see whether insanity can be pleaded yeah uh but also the prosecution looks for that as well because Mm. uh you can have you can have certainly degree of insanity uh, from uh personality disorder right through to uh, paranoid schizophrenia mm. so there is a scale uh, by which a person can have uh, a, d- a form of diminished responsibility however if you have a personality disorder uh, and Joanna Dennehy was uh, someone who was found to have a personality disorder she knew exactly what she was doing but she felt nothing mm. about it um, just to kind of say who she was uh, she she murdered three men in 13 days uh, in the Cambridgeshire area and um, attacked on the same day two men in broad daylight and left them for dead and then was captured by the, uh, the captured by the police mm. um, and has been put away f- for a life term because she showed zero remorse she even went against her legal team's advice in the dock and threw her hands up and said yeah I did it and what right basically um they they found that she had a personality disorder but it wasn't enough to say that it was a mitigating circumstance right so it can happen and if you are found to have paranoid schizophrenia that is your get out clause for murder to be reduced to manslaughter. Okay. Because there are uh, other other extenuating circumstances telling you to commit a murder and it's not just coming from you your own lust yeah. and desire. So yeah. Okay. So was there a start to that? I can't remember. Uh no. <laughs> I, I went off on one a little bit, sorry. No, no. It's it's what you found. You know, it, it it's how it is, isn't it? Yes, it is, because a person can throw their hands up to confession, say, yeah, I, di- I did it, mm. and yet there still has to be a form of defence. Yeah. And that's that's the difficulty you find, as a, I suppose, as a defence barrister, yeah. that uh, your client freely admits that they've killed X number of people, and you're going, okay, what's our defence going to be then? Mm. Are you mad? Um, well, you must be to kill another human being. Yeah. But what level of madness are you? And that's oh no, a... you're perfectly sane, mad, mm. and it becomes a bit of a dichotomy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so... it's a weird one, isn't it? Because surely everyone that goes out with the intention of killing one person, let alone multiple people, is unhinged somewhere. There is a, a there is a, <laughs> a, a wiring yeah. fault. Yeah. But it's proving that. Mm. and trying to prove that they're not entirely deranged but mm. not unhinged enough 
that they didn't know what they were doing. It's so weird, isn't it? It's such a strange. Well, it it's quite it's quite black and white, really. And I think, thankfully, our legal system hasn't fallen into that trap of certifying everyone who has killed more than I don't know more than one person. Yeah. Uh, they haven't certified them as mad, because imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Ian Brady, I believe, he certainly um, spent his last days in a high-security psychiatric prison. Mm. And I also think, and I might have to look this up, but Peter Sutcliffe, I think, was also in Broadmoor, which is uh, a psychiatric prison for the mentally disturbed. Mm. I will just check that. Yeah. Um, But... Apart from that, I don't think... I know that Ian Huntley tried it on. Um, Ian Huntley murdered two schoolgirls. Yeah. And what was terrifying about that was the fact that he appeared on national news Mm. as being the last person to have seen them, giving this very frank interview, saying how he was terribly worried about them and... uh, that he was hoping that they were going to be found soon, knowing full well that they they were never going to be found again (laughs) because he had done it. Mm. And I think that was what terrified everybody. The fact that they, that they were looking, he was looking down the, the the lens of the camera and trying to come across like, when you watch that over and over, Mm. you cannot believe how someone can just turn like that. Yeah, It's that Ian Huntley thing is, uh, it's one of the more recent ones, isn't it? where you just think, well, how the hell have you got the balls to go on national TV and make that plea? (laughs) Yes. Because there are some cases, like with the... um, Is it Helen Matthews? Who? Uh, The Matthews, the kid who was hidden. That council estate one who said that her kid had been abducted or had gone missing, hoping to get money. like Shannon Matthews. Shannon Matthews. Where you can kind of tell from the get-go that there's something a bit wrong. Well, I don't know whether you could with that one. It was when it went on and on. Mm. But I don't even know if I saw through that one. Right. Because you you, you always think that if someone's been missing for more than a week, it's going to be awful news. There's Mm. no way that that person's going to be found. Back to Sutcliffe. Sutcliffe? Yes, Peter Suckley. Oh, right, I thought we were talking about Huntley. We are. I'm going back to there, because okay. I can remember the Ian Huntley one. It's yeah. much clearer in my head. Suckliffe began his sentence in Parkhurst, uh, and then, it, despite being found sane at his trial, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Oh, really? Um, yes, he was. And then got absolutely brutalised by other prisoners in Parkhurst, yeah. and then he was sent to Broadmoor under Section 47 of the Mental Health Act in mm. 1983. So, yeah. But he, um, he, he's tried to uh, appeal on many an many occasion. Times, yeah. He's yeah. Se- according to Wikipedia, he's 71 now. Really? Mm. Blimey. Yeah. But again, one of these ones who's very unlikely to get a release ever, I don't think. I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Because what happened to Myra Hindley? She died. Yeah. She died just up the road, in mm. fact, in in a prison that is now no longer there. Anyway, 
<laughs> That's that cheery little yeah. number. <laughs> it's another cheery episode. <laughs> yes. Out of all of it, what what's been the most fascinating serial killer that you have? I don't think I can answer that. No. No, because that would then put me into a, a league of almost admiring what they've done, and I I don't. Uh, so I'm not I'm not gonna say that there's anyone particularly fascinating I think that they are all to echo Ramirez's words I think they're all evil I think that's just about a decent way to end it thanks (laughs) (laughs) yeah well as ever let us know if you've got any thoughts on this subject Mm. whether we've missed any out Oh, we've we missed have. hundreds out. Yeah, yeah. and it's it, you, you. You don't want to bring all of them to to the forefront, no. really. No, absolutely not. Because but, uh, we, we've we've missed. You know, we haven't talked about the craze. Um, Gacy. That th- there are so there are many, tons. so so many. Mm. We haven't spoken about, but still. <laughs> like I say, probably best not to. So um, yeah, next time we'll try and do something a little lighter, shall we? Cheese. Anything to do with cheese. cheese. Okay. Anything to do with cheese Let's would be really nice. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for listening again, and uh, see you next time. And uh, to echo the words of Crime Watch, don't have nightmares. <laughs> that was it. I was going to finish. Well, I'm coming through your window. <laughs> I see your family there. Well, I'm living in a creeper. When I go creeping, y'all better be well. Yeah.